Everybody, welcome to the next episode of Exponential Wisdom. Peter D. Mandis here with Dan Sullivan, my incredible coach, head of strategic coach. Talk about the exponential technologies and how they're impacting our lives. Today, Dan, let's pick up a conversation we mentioned in the past, which is intellectual property, its value. It's an old concept that has been incredibly important for entrepreneurs but I also want to talk about how IP will be changing over the next few years. Mm-hmm. You've given a lot of thought to IP. In fact, you brought some incredible capabilities to members at Coach and Abundance 360. Mm-hmm. Give me your thoughts. Well, intellectual property is in the first article of the Constitution of the United States. And this is after close to 500 years of really amazing development of private property laws in the UK, which is now the UK, but in Britain. And it goes back a long time, goes back to the Romans, goes back to the Greeks. But the big thing about it is that innovations, if they're properly structured and properly presented, any kind of innovation can be considered property, just like the desk that right here or the house you're in right there, it's property and it has property value. So in the very first article of the Constitution, it says what we have to do is to support and encourage and reward the creation of new knowledge and new techniques that can go through the entire population and lift the knowledge and the productivity in the entire population. And in order to do that, we have to reward the innovators so that they'll actually do this because there's a risk involved and they have to be rewarded they have to be encouraged and they have to be rewarded. Seems like a, an amazing business model for America to adopt. Well, I think America is an entrepreneurial republic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you look nice at result. the Constitution, the Constitution is very, very interesting because people say, well, this is how the government runs the country. Actually, it's not. It's how the people of the United States are protected from the government. <laughs> the founders had a real nose for freedom well they've been oppressed for so long by the dominant government they don't want to go through that process again yeah and they didn't work for large corporations you know it was mainly agrarian and uh, right from the beginning it was a maritime country because of so much water that they had to deal with but if you go back and you look at the growth of entrepreneurism it's consistent with the protection of personal property that is the result of invention and innovation. So how would you define a patent and the intellectual property system today? Would you give us a quick 101 on that? Well, I'll give you a statistic that the S&P 500 in 1974, the valuations of the top 500 company corporations in the Standard & Poor index, it was evaluated that their valuation was 84% tangible and 16% intangible. Mm -hmm. And tangible meant property, it meant equipment, it meant inventory, land, buildings. Intangible were ideas, methods, processes. Tangible just simply means that uh, it has no weight in mass. It's an idea. Last year, it was 84% the other way. Wow. 84% 84% intangible, 16% tangible. Huh. And what comes in between 1974 and last year 
was the microchip, the internet. I mean, this is the digitization of everything, you know, digitizing, dematerializing, demonetizing, democratizing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's saying things that have no weight and no no mass can be more valuable than things that do. It's easier to move them, for one thing. <laughs> so, yeah, so this and the Patent Bureau is always slow to catch up with the way the marketplace is going, okay? So about five years ago, they eliminated the definition that to have intellectual property, the invention itself had to have a technological component. Ah, interesting. And the reason is because the internet is the technology. Fascinating. And now a patent today gives you 17 years of protection. 20. What was it before? 20 from the day you file. Okay. Yeah. 20, but you have protection from the day you file. And was it a different time length in the past? That I do not know. Yeah. Yeah. Copyright and trademark are virtually kind of endless because you can constantly renew them. But patents come public property or they become available to the public after 20 years. Now, one thing that most people make mistake and don't realize is that if you have a patent it doesn't grant you anything other than the ability to prevent other people from doing it. You know, if you patent something and you sit on it and it never sees the light of day and never creates a dollar of value, that is the most likely situation. If you patent it, you can sell the right to someone else. You can license the right to someone else. You can prevent someone from copying you and competing against you unless they are able to work around your patent claims. Yeah. I would say that mainly it's been a defensive concept that you're defending your property, okay? But starting five years ago, it's become increasingly offensive. That is a way of creating market space monopoly, you know? So the whole thing has been much more what you can do from a marketing, a positioning standpoint, and actually, you know, creating market share that's protected by law. I don't play defense, you know, my basic attitude towards life, you know, that life either happens to you or you happen to life. So I'm a very, very out there. You're intentional. intentional. I'm very intentional and I'll let the opposition stay awake at night. I don't want to stay away at night worrying about them. So, I mean, that's just uh, my basic attitude about it when it comes to ideas. So I'm in the idea realm. You've been in coach for 12 years, you know, start to finish coach is just about mindset. So I'm just telling you why we're so excited about it in coach, because 90% of our client base, 2,500 clients are in the services business, which is intangible for the most part. Okay. And now that they're granting, you know, you don't have to have the technological component Virtually almost all of our main tools, which are already trademarked, we have 240 trademarks, we have close to 1,800 copyrights, and we've only had cause to litigate once in 34 years. And we did that because he was taking the ideas into the internet, and he was using exponentially to take our ideas, claim them as his own. He was sneakier than that because he had a slivery way of actually doing it. And the court case actually stopped him, but it was three years. It was a lot of expense. 
we have a non-disclosure, so the only thing I can say is that I'm not unhappy with the result. Okay. But it was a real graduate school for me because I said, you know, we've been sloppy on some of our stuff, so we're as tight as a drum right now with it. But along the way, we met Keegan Caldwell, who you've exercised with together at the gym. At Equinox, yes. Yeah, because he just opened his headquarters right on Ocean, and where's the Fairmont? Wilshire. Yeah, Wilshire. It, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he's got really great offices looking out on the Pacific there. But he's the most remarkably inventive IP lawyer. First of all, he doesn't charge by the hour. He simply charges by the result, mm. the project. He charges by the project. So there's just been a flood from our client base of build-up ingenuity over 20 or 30 years now putting it through the process. And we actually have a new program, optional program in Strategic Coach called the IP Value Builder. This is such an interesting thing to our clients. So here's the thing, Peter, since 1989, when we started, our total revenues for up until last year was $550 million, okay? The first year was 180,000, so there's been a bit of an exponential curve. Mm. Uh, there. Last year we were at 40 million. So picture this from the standpoint of your own company, that you take the total revenues that you've made up until now, and you say, the goal now is to turn all that learning and all that creativity that got you up to here into mm -hmm. intellectual property assets. Okay, so we've just submitted 22 patents, went in three months ago, another 28 go in by January, and by probably the end of next year, we'll be up to 150 patents. And please do not try this at home by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the language of patentees is a foreign language. It is. By the way, you can use GPT-3 to translate for you. <laughs> you can use ChatGPT. I, I had one of my ACD60 members do something brilliant. That would be a super use for... Yeah, well, well, it is. You know, she has a business and she put a patent in and she said, please explain what this patent is for and how it's relevant to my yeah. business. Yeah. And it gave a summary and then did the same thing with another patent and then said, okay, put into ChatGPT, given these two patents, how would you use them together to create something new to impact my business. So these are the kinds of interesting questions you can ask. Yeah. yeah. Now, here's the thing where you enter a new world, and it's called the asset world, that the moment a patent is approved, okay, you can do it before, but it costs you extra. You can take it to third-party outside brokerage firms, and they will actually give you an appraisal just like they would give you an appraisal for your home, okay? Keegan, in the last seven years, he's a recent firm. He's about eight years old. He's got a 99.2 approval rating, and usually within 12 months to 18 months. Hmm. Usually it's three to five years for people who don't know the inner workings of the Patent Bureau. And the whole point is that he understands how it is to be a patent clerk and what makes your life interesting and what makes and what makes your life easy and he understands it's like dos it's almost like a dos on the patent bureau he understands the dos of the patent bureau and he knows that there are yes people in the patent bureau and no people in the patent bureau and he just knows how to be friction free let me ask you so if you have an idea that you're developing and you file it but then after you filed 
you announce it before the patent is granted. Can you lose your patent? Patent pending. You have patent pending. So you're the moment it's filed, you know, and the patent bureau has agreed to do it, you are patent pending. And that has the same power as having the patent. That protects you during that interim period. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the interesting questions, I had this conversation on stage at Singularity years ago with Astro Teller, who is the head of Google X, now the head of X as part of Alphabet, and Steve Jurvetson, who's been on my stage at Abundance 360 on the board of SpaceX and Tesla and one of the top venture capitalists. And we talked about the speed of change and we talked about sort of in the mid-2030s that the speed would be sufficiently fast that even if you patented stuff, the next day it had been reinvented and people had worked around the patent and that the real value is to continuously innovate for yourself. So there's an interesting sense that, you know, because what happens right now is you produce a product and if you are selling in the United States, all of a sudden you see the same product for sale in China, you know, China's not going to abide by our patent laws. Yeah. But what happens if, uh, if someone figures out a better way to do what you do? I guess that's innovation in some ways. Well, they probably won't be able to get a patent. I mean, if your patent is Sufficient. broadly enough interpreted, because in Keegan's system, you envision what the usefulness of this is going to be 20 years down the road. Yeah. Okay. So we've created a tool, mostly on their part, but for testing in our client base, and we call it the 20-question patent builder. So whenever you even start actually creating something new, you immediately start answering the questions of the Patent Bureau. And these are contextual questions like, what have you discovered is the main use of this? And who will use this? And why will they use it? And what's going on in their life? So it's almost like a business plan in an invention. You create the complete business plan of the invention. And this is why I think you would be so interested in it, because you know you have so many different innovation factories that are pumping out. Yeah. But here's the thing, that once you get to the approval stage, the average patent is immediately worth $300,000, irrespective of what it is. Hmm. Okay? Keegan's is generally around a million right off the bat. So our 22 could very, very easily be worth 22 million in assets when we start. And this is an asset, okay? So the thing about it is that there are now very large institutions in the world, like Aon, which is one of the biggest reinsurance companies in the world. These are massive capital organizations. They will now, taking a look at the characteristics of your patents, especially if they're clustered, and they have a concept of cluster that you have 10 patents and they all reinforce each other, they will lend you up to half the value of the appraised value. Mm, amazing. Not a cheap loan. It's a short-range loan. But if you think of the venture capital raising, you're simply profiting from your own creativity. You're not asking people to give you money for a piece of your company. Last week, Dan, I was at Anderl Systems interviewing Palmer Lucky from my Moonshot podcast. And Palmer, as you said before, is one of like most amazing speakers at Abundance 360 this year. People may know him as the founder of Oculus VR. He's also, we were discussing, you know, Oculus versus Vision Pro. 
but he's also the CEO of Anduril, which is now an eight to ten billion dollar defense company. Yeah. And he's one of the only speakers who got a spontaneous applause when he said he's building weapons to defend freedom and democracy. Oh it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, but he wants to cut down totally on collateral damage. Yes, he wants the. He says, <laughs> you know, uh, only the person you want to kill gets killed. Nobody else gets damaged or killed. You know, I love that. He says it's BB size. It just hits <laughs> right in the head. You know? I just sitting there and I said, wow, this is. <laughs> so I talked about patents with him on the podcast and he's very concerned that the patent system today is a how-to manual for China. Yeah. That as soon as you file and because you're filing in detail what you're doing, the method, how you do it. And it's fine if you're in a legal structure that protects you. Yeah. But a lot of companies like SpaceX won't patent anything because they don't want to, you know, reveal it to yeah. the China. And this was Steve Jobs' approach too, you know, because Steve didn't want any advance notice whatsoever of what he was up to next. And it's a strategy, but it takes a particular type of personality to pull it off. And I think Palmer's one of those things. But when you move into the national defense realm, you're in a different world. First of all, he will not be lacking for funding as things go along. And it sounds to me like he's doing pretty well. Yes. But the thing is that now you want things to be secret. Okay. So what you have there, there's a special provision of the IP law that's called trade secrets. And it's as legitimate to get a trade secret as it is to get a public patent. The patent bureau will grant you a trade secret. Like the proverbial formula for Coca-Cola is yep, a trade secret. Yep, yep, yeah. yep, yeah, and many others. The pharmaceutical companies, a lot of their stuff is trade secrets, you know. They'll tell you part of what the formula is, but they won't tell you everything else about the formula. And that's granted exactly for the fact that we don't want the wrong people to get a hold of our latest thinking. First of all, I think it's totally legitimate mm -hmm. that he thinks about this, but I think that there are ways even within the existing patent law to handle that. I showed recently an article that I was reading that the Biden administration was considering granting AI's patent rights, and you quoted me the article from the Constitution that basically said, no, no, no. It's got to be a human, not an AI. Yes. You would need a constitutional amendment to change that. And that is a lengthy process, seven or eight years. And you need two-thirds of the Congress, two-thirds of the Senate, and three-quarters of the state legislatures to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> so I think we'll be having human shilling for AIs for a while. Yeah. And he's not the president to even introduce the legislation. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting because I do think we're going to see advanced versions of whatever, if it's Google's or GPT-5, 6, 7 through 10, whatever, impacting a lot of breakthroughs in drug discovery, in physics, and so forth. Oh, yeah. Regenerative medicine is the gold zone. Yeah. All 8 billion humans have an interest in this. For sure. Yeah. I'm picturing a diagram where in the middle of A360, you have AI times regenerative medicine, you know, yeah. and then you have spikes coming out and the implications of another 25 years for all these other technologies are just profound. You know, 
Warren Buffett was asked when he was 90 if he'd give his fortune for anything, and a 21-year-old was asking the question, and he says, I give my entire fortune to be 21, knowing what I know now. And I think that's a powerful motivation, you know. I mean, you have that famous story of being at the Vatican, you know, and the response to his extending lifespan, is it even moral? And he says, well, you know, is dying at the age that we are dying at, is that moral? Yeah. Like his morality. I mean, it was the thing that attracted us right from the beginning because we were of equal minds in terms of personal longevity. But I think that you'll see at the Patent Bureau, you'll see incredibly every year the percentage of patents that are coming in for AI itself as a technology, but not for what AI creates. I mean, how many different apps are there out there now that you know about? I mean, there are thousands and there will soon be hundreds of thousands and millions. I mean, software has completely lost its meaning. I mean, they must be scrambling like mad, like Salesforce. I have no idea how the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office can possibly keep up with what's going on. They don't have to. They don't? (laughs) You have to keep up with the Patent Bureau. (laughs) Well, I mean, they just become a logjam. Yeah, well, you know, there's tricks. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and that's and that's what Keegan... You know, I mean, it's like Italy. <laughs> I was on a bus, and we came to a perpendicular where you had to turn, and it said right, and the bus turned left, and I was right next to the driver, close to the driver. And I said, I think it's one way, the other way. And he says, a mere suggestion. <laughs> a mere suggestion. And I said, that in a story describes the entire country of Italy, you know. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, there's laws, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, there's always workarounds, and you know yourself that there's an incredible amount of cleverness in the technological world, and they have the best lawyers, they have the best tax lawyers, best accountants, and everybody, you know, there's workarounds. But the Constitution is very durable, written up in... 1787, it was 23 pages, and now it's 27 pages, 230 years later. It's a great operating system, but I think it's for an entrepreneurial republic. So, I mean, my feeling is that the rules that the country operates give you the freedom to do what you want. I mean, you couldn't possibly do most of the things that you're doing and what you're interested in invested in any other country but this country. Yeah, for sure. You know, I also think that a lot of entrepreneurs and companies, larger companies mostly, I wouldn't say entrepreneurs, a lot of larger companies rest on their laurels and use their patents and the regulatory influence, meaning bought regulators, to try and protect themselves yep. against being out of innovated. Yep. And so, you know, my message to folks is listen, patents, that's great, it's smart, but you've got to be constantly reinventing yourself. Yeah. But you have to have smart lawyers too. And smart lawyers these days don't want to work for big law firms. They'd rather have their own entrepreneurial law firm and work with entrepreneurs, you know. Have you ever used ChatGPT to write a patent application? I don't know. I have to ask Keegan and Katie. 
in the team yeah. where they've done it. I mean, I don't want to write patents. <laughs> I don't really want to do much. <laughs> well, who not how, and then now AI, who not how. Yes. But I'm not into the how. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's a growing world, Peter, and I think it would be worth you having a podcast with Keegan. I definitely, I've got a few of my companies that I'd want to, Sit down with him and. Well, he'll do a harvest. He comes in and he just does a harvest. Tell me everything you do, and I'll tell you what you're missing in terms of what can be protected here. You know, so I think it's worth big time. I mean, I just find him so far beyond, you know, and we've had really good IP lawyers, but the barrier for anyone matching him is billable hours. Yeah, I love that idea of pay for performance versus billable hours. I hate billable hours it's like fountain life insurance you pay you be healthy it's, yes it's to keep you healthy it's to, yeah. the insurance is ensuring that you're going to stay healthy you know i mean it makes sense because no insurance company ever wants to pay off <laughs> they'd rather you have the policy for 20 years and it lapses so they don't have to actually pay out for sure but nobody else is in a position to offer the upfront help so I think it's one of your more revolutionary aspects of Fountain Life is actually the insurance policy. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I mean, from my standpoint, it's like I just want to disrupt and reinvent the healthcare industry. I'm so angry about how perverse it is. Life's not fair. Well, life is not fair. But, you know. Yeah. Rule number one, everything's made up. Rule number two, nobody's in charge. Number three, life's not fair. All right. <laughs> All right, I'll remember that. I just not gonna tell my kids. <laughs> well, they figured it out six years ago. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, listen. All right. Thank you for this conversation, and yeah, I'll have to give Keegan a call and loop him into a few. Of my you have his guys. number. You can send it to me next after. Yeah, he just opened in London. He just opened in Santa Monica, and he said there's a thirst for this in UK because. Yeah, I mean, they're a very advanced technological country. The main innovation center is really Cambridge, Cambridge University. And, you know, they have like a Silicon Valley between London and Cambridge, which is, you know, an hour's drive from them, you know. So I'll give you 10 reasons why the U.S. is about ready to go into warp drive right now. Okay. And that it totally coincides with the 60s. 60s, 60s yeah. Warp drive, warp drive, you know. Yeah. All right, Dan, take care, my friend. See you soon. Thank you, Peter.